So you're watching your favorite series, and the episode ends with some shock twist ending, and then you hear those iconic drums. Dun, 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 dun. No one here watches EastEnders, obviously. Good, good. Uh, or you're watching a movie, and the climax sets you up for the next film, uh, believes you wishing it didn't. Like you just wish it end there, but no, no, there's a cliffhanger, and you have to come back for something that's come next. We love stories with cliffhangers in them, but more than that, I'd say we love resolutions, don't we? We want to know that our beloved characters are going to be okay, that it's all going to work out for their good. And then what we're thinking, isn't life really a series of cliffhangers? I don't know about you, but almost every day things happen in my life and I'm left in that limbo wondering, what's going to happen next? How are these things going to be resolved? For me, the recent process of looking for a new job was a series of unsettling cliffhangers that for a period of months destabilized my whole world. Throughout the process, I'd been relying on myself, my skills, and my experiences, my ability to answer questions and to sell myself. But waiting for that phone call after my interview, I came to realize that there was nothing I could do, that my future was actually in someone else's hands, and that I was no longer in control. The question I had to ask myself is this, what do I put my hope in when I am destabilized in this way? What do I trust, what is my stable rock to secure my anchor to when I'm so anxious. And maybe you've had a row with your partner before they go to work, or your children before school, and you're left thinking, huh, I wonder how this is going to work out. And maybe you put the, an offer in on a house, and then you find yourself on that roller coaster of it being accepted, uh, and then waiting for the buyer's chain to, to, to work out, and then watching in frustration, it all seems to fall apart. Maybe you or someone you've loved has just had an important medical appointment, and you're now sitting in the doctor's surgery, waiting for the results. Maybe you decided to propose to the person you love, and you're waiting for their response. Can you hear the drums? Dun, 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 dun. Life is a series of cliffhangers, isn't it? And we find ourselves in situations where there is nothing we can do, where our future is in someone else's hands, and we are not in control. What do we put our hopes in when we are destabilized in this way? What do we trust? What is the, the stable, secure rock to which we tie our anchor when we are anxious? Brothers and sisters, we all face cliffhangers that can destabilize us all the time. Cliffhangers uh, where it feels like how this situation resolves will change our entire futures for better or for worse. This morning, God speaks to us directly in his word, and his answer to you in that situation is this. Put your hope in Jesus, the true guardian redeemer who sacrificed everything to redeem you because he loves you. Put your hope in Jesus, the true guardian redeemer who sacrificed everything to redeem you because he loves you. Now my pithy little summary there, uh, you would have heard quite a technical phrase that Jesus is a true guardian redeemer and that he can redeem you. And these little words are really important to us. And they should make our hearts sing for joy. But they may be unfamiliar words to us and we might hear them today and think, oh, they're dry, that's empty, what does that mean? Since this phrase is central to this whole book of Ruth and our spiritual lives, uh, we need to spend a little time making ourselves familiar with them. So that's what we're going to do this morning. 
And last week, if you were here, you'd seen or watched online our visiting speaker, James Fletcher, uh, left us on a mighty cliffhanger, didn't he? Ruth had mustered up all her courage and, and risked everything to travel to the threshing floor late at night to literally throw herself at Boaz's feet. Boaz is a man who, according to Hebrew law, is a guardian redeemer of Naomi's family. There's that, that little phrase again, guardian redeemer. Essentially, in Hebrew law, property belonged to men. So the book of Ruth starts with a man called Elimelech and his wife Naomi. Elimelech owns the family home. He owns the property in the land in Bethlehem. And Elimelech and Naomi together have two sons, Marlon and Kilion. Now, tragically, we soon read that Elimelech dies, but, but it's okay. Don't worry. There's still Marlon and Kilion, and they're married. So everything will be okay. Who knows? These two boys, well, they might have children with their wives, uh, and they might have sons that will be able to secure the home for the future. But then we read quite early on that, that 10 years into their move to Moab, these two sons die as well. Now, this is sad and tragic, and our hearts break for poor Naomi, whose once pleasant life has now been made bitter. But there is further heartbreak. You see, Naomi can go back and she can live in Elimelech's home and on his land. And these daughter-in-laws, they can go with her there. But, and it's a big but, as she said to them in chapter one, she is too old to remarry and have more sons for them. Now we read that statement and we might think, huh, that's a bit odd. Why would Naomi be concerned about having more sons for these two women to marry? Because Although Naomi can inherit the land from her dead husband, these two foreign women, who have no sons of their own, can't. And so when Naomi dies, these two women will be kicked out of Elimelech's land. Can you see now why Naomi urged them so strongly to return to their own families? Can you see how great, actually, Ruth's sacrifice really is? She was a foreign woman traveling back with an Israelite widow to a hopeless future that will most likely end with her becoming destitute and penniless when her mother-in-law dies. That is the situation that Ruth committed herself to so early on. Ruth is sacrificing everything to care for her mother-in-law. She's sacrificing her home, her family, her security, her future, her dreams. Can you hear the drums? Who can remember what, what Ruth's name means from week one? Loving friend. How truly she was named by her parents. Almost prophetic, wasn't it? What will Ruth put her hope in as her security and her future are being so destabilized? What will she trust in? What's her stable rock to which she'll secure her anchor? So Naomi returns to the land with Ruth, and in Ruth we see a woman of such courage, such agency, courage to sacrifice everything that offered her a future to stay with this woman, Naomi, agency to choose not to sit around and wait for her mother-in-law to die or to starve of a broke, of broken heart, but instead to choose to head into the fields and to gather up grain. Now, it's not my notes, but um, take some time over the next few weeks, to read the book of Judges, and you will come to see just how awful it is for women living in that time and the, the, the great risk that Ruth took to be a woman alone in a field surrounded by men. Just read the book of Judges. God is with Ruth. 
And in his providential care, he guides her to just the right field. A field that belonged to a relative of her husband's side, chapter 2, verse 1. Not any old relative, no, a close relative, chapter 2, verse 20. Do you know what you call a close male relative in Hebrew law? I was waiting for an answer there. A guardian redeemer. There's that phrase again. Do you know what a guardian redeemer is? If you have a physical Bible open with you, why don't you look down to the bottom of page 268, and there um, you'll see footnote B, and you'll read this. The Hebrew word for guardian redeemer is a legal term for one who has the obligation to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. And then it points you back to Leviticus chapter 25, if you want to go a bit deeper on that to see what the law says. Do you know what this means for Ruth and Naomi? Boaz has the option to buy the land and all the property of the dead male relative, to redeem it like you would a voucher in the shop, to redeem something. And in doing so, he can provide security for Ruth. He can provide stability for her and a future. Can you hear the drums? And so late at night, Ruth travels into the fields to ask Boaz if he will fulfill his duty under the law. What a, what a brave, desperate woman to be alone in the fields during the time of Judges at night. Up until this point, uh, Ruth has been courageous. She's demonstrated great agency. She's an activist, isn't she? She's a doer. She makes things happen. But now in this moment, Ruth is completely helpless. What will Ruth now put her hope into? There's nothing she can do. Her future is in someone else's hands. She is no longer in control of the situation. What will she trust in? What's going to be that stable rock she secures her anchor to? We see it, don't we? Ruth is putting her hope in Boaz, the guardian redeemer. What's he going to do? Can you hear the drums? Boaz shows great tenderness to Ruth, doesn't he? Although he is a guardian redeemer of Elimelech's family, there is another man who is a close relative. And so this other man would have first choice on whether to take possession of Elimelech's land or not. Can you hear the drums? Ruth returns to her mother-in-law, Naomi, the next morning, laying down uh, grain and recounts the story. And Naomi provides that cliffhanger uh, ending that, that James finished with last week at the end of the chapter. Wait, my daughter, she says, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until this matter is settled today. Dun, 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 dun. So we come to chapter 4, we find Ruth in a precarious position with her future, her home, her life, her stability completely out of her control. She has, there's nothing she can do. She is helpless. All Ruth can do is entrust herself to someone else. I don't know, maybe you found yourself in a similar situation like Ruth where you have been completely helpless and powerless. Where your situation, your future was completely out of your control where you had to entrust yourself to something like a, a legal system or a process or a bank or a person, a partner, a friend, a family member, a, a medical professional. What do you put your hope in when you are destabilized in that way? What do you trust? What is the, the stable rock to which you secure your anchor when you are anxious? Ruth put her hope in Boaz, the guardian redeemer. Can you hear the drums? 
The first part of chapter four is like a, a courtroom drama and it's gripping stuff with crucial evidence being withheld to the last minute, with closing speeches that are great, with sandals being passed around. It's gripping stuff. And Boaz wins the case and we all cheer and breathe a sigh of relief. But you have to ask yourself, why? Why did this other man not redeem Elimelech's property? I mean, he initially says yes in verse four. Why did he pull out? Uh, look down and read verse five of me. And then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. This is that crucial evidence being withheld I was talking about. You see, if this man was to buy a Limelech's land from Naomi, he would acquire all the property associated with it, including Ruth. Now, I know at this point, some of you, if not all of you, might be getting quite uncomfortable and angry about the idea of Ruth being property and Ruth having no choice in who buys her. That doesn't sound right, does it? There were laws of the land given two and a half thousand years before we came here. And it's hard for us to grasp the context of what's going on in that history. What I can say without going into this is that these are laws given by God, and that makes them good laws. And these particular laws provided security for widows and women, unlike any other culture around them. Now, I know this doesn't sound right to our modern ears. I know that. But if you can, just put those thoughts aside just for us this morning uh, and focus on what the passage is saying elsewhere. In verse 5, Boaz is referencing another Hebrew law that states that a dead man's family should marry his wife in order to provide children that would continue the dead man's family line. Now that means that if this man was to have sons with Ruth, the inheritance would not continue in his family name, but would revert back to Elimelech's, as it says, in order to maintain the name of the dead man with his property. That all sounds technical, but basically, this man has realized that he could not go through with buying this property. Because should he have sons with Ruth, all, uh, without another wife, all his own property, all his inheritance, will immediately go into Elimelech's family name. This man is afraid that his name will be forgotten. His concern is for protecting his legacy. But that gets us thinking, if, if Boaz redeems the land and takes Ruth as his wife, he faces the same loss. He would be choosing to sacrifice his name, his legacy, in order to continue Marlon's name, Marlon's legacy. Do you see what sacrifice that is? I mean, maybe an illustration might help. Um, imagine you have a fashion brand called Boaz's, and your cousin has a brand called Marlon's. It's being original, isn't it? And now, Boaz's is doing well, it's profitable, it's got a store on every high street, it's a household name. Uh, Marlon's sells cheap threads that fall apart, and the brand has become a byword for naff clothes. And then your cousin Marlon dies, and you decide to buy his company. But the law states that when you buy it, your successful, profitable company, with the household name Boaz's, will be subsumed into Marlon's. And Marlon will become your trading name, along with the bad reputation that's associated with it. I mean, who would make that decision? Who would take that choice? To sacrifice all of that, Boaz was very successful, to sacrifice all of that for Ruth. He doesn't owe her anything. He doesn't have to redeem her. In fact, uh, 
the other guy was willing to take possession of it. I will do it, he says. And then Boaz talks him out of it. Why? Why would Boaz sacrifice all of that for Ruth? Isn't it obvious? For love. You see, Boaz has fallen for Ruth. This is a love story. And he has been tender and compassionate to her. He has protected her from his employees, abusing her while she gleaned in his fields. He provided for her by giving her extra stalks to harvest. He sustained her by giving her food. He treated her with dignity when she approached him late at night. He has now rescued her from the hands of other men by redeeming Elimelech's land. And in doing so, he has sacrificed his name, his inheritance, his legacy, his future. He will be forgotten according to the Israel rules. Because he loved her. The story of Ruth has been full of cliffhangers with those drums beating at every turn. What did Ruth put her hope in when she was so destabilized? What did she trust? What was the the stable rock to which she secured her anchor when she was anxious? It was Boaz, wasn't it? You see, Ruth puts her hope in Boaz, the guardian redeemer who sacrificed his name, his legacy, to redeem her because he loved her. And the story has a happy ending. And Ruth and Boaz get married, and Ruth becomes pregnant, and Ruth, this foreign woman who has no claim to be a Hebrew, becomes the great-grandmother of King David, and King David is a great ancestor of King Jesus. And Boaz's name is remembered. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? It's the kind of tearjerker, period drama, that my wife loves to watch. But when we look at the character of Boaz, with all his Mr. Darcy-like qualities, we are seeing a pale shadow of an even greater romance story. Because as we look at Boaz, we get a glimpse, a small glimpse of Jesus. Jesus, the true guardian redeemer, who didn't just sacrifice his name or his legacy to redeem his bride, but he sacrificed everything. He sacrificed the glory of the heavenly courts for the straw of animals feeding trough. He sacrificed the singing of angels for the chanting of a crowd calling for his execution. He sacrificed the comfort of the heavenly throne for the agony of a Roman cross. Why? Because these are the lengths that he would go to to rescue his bride. To redeem her, to buy her back, his bride, for the price of his own precious blood. And his bride is you. Jesus is the true God and redeemer who sacrificed everything to redeem you because he loves you. Like Ruth, we might demonstrate great courage in our life, great agency to get things done, to take control of our lives. We might be savvy entrepreneurs who, who like Ruth, go out working to earn ourselves a living, to do the right things. We might take daring risks to secure a future that we want just like Ruth did. But the truth is, as we look back on our lives, we know our hearts, in our heart of hearts, we we actually have gotten some stuff wrong, haven't we? We know we have, and the Bible calls that sin. And if we can't admit that, then we are lying to ourselves. We really are. We can work hard, we can strive with all the energy we can, but at the end of the day, we need to realize that all our strivings, all our efforts, they are meaningless. Because the Bible says that one day we all need to answer for the life we've led. 
the good stuff and the bad, and that one day our darkest fears will become reality as we realize that what we did was not enough, that we could never be good enough. And like how Ruth faced a hopeless future of destitution and poverty, we face an eternity of horror which the Bible calls hell. And on that day, there will be nothing we can do. Our future will be in someone else's hands, God's. And we will no longer have the illusion of being in control of our lives. But in that day, in that day, Jesus himself will argue your case, just like Boaz did for Ruth. And on that day, Jesus himself will accept your shame, all your disgrace, all your sins, and he will provide you with a crown, and he will beautify you. In that day, Jesus will say that he has been, you have been fully redeemed, that he has purchased you. He has brought you back by receiving all the punishment that you deserve for your sins against God. Because Jesus loves you. He loves you. He really loves you. <laughs> Jesus is so much better than Mr. Darcy. He really is. He's so much better than Boaz. And he can be yours. And you can be his forever if you put your hope in him. When you realize there is nothing we can do, that our future is in someone else's hands, when we recognize that we are not actually in control, what do we put our hope in? What do we trust? What is the stable rock to which we secure our anchor when we feel anxious or destabilized? Brothers and sisters, friends, the beautiful truth is that you can put your hope and your trust in Jesus. I implore you, if you haven't, put your hope in Jesus, the true guardian redeemer who sacrificed everything to redeem you because he loves you.